We have seen in the book of Ruth a pretty fascinating story now unfold regarding Naomi. In the first chapter of the book of Ruth, we saw that Naomi experiences a pretty devastating tragedy and she loses just about everything. She loses her husband, she loses her two sons, and she has gone from being full and doing well to being completely empty. In the end of chapter 1, we see that Ruth, the daughter-in-law of Naomi, now head back to Israel and they're going to return there and, and live But there does not appear to be any hope for them whatsoever. In fact, Naomi's trying to tell Ruth, you can't come with me because I have no hope for you as well. The second chapter then opens with the providence of God as Ruth now takes it upon herself and recognizing their destitution is now going to go glean in the fields. And so as she goes, she happens to go into the field of Boaz. And not only does that work out well, but on top of it, it so happens through the providence of God that Boaz is visiting that field at that very same time. And so once Ruth is there gleaning in the field, Boaz finds out who that is and tells her not to go to any other fields, to be there with the the other women, to uh, enjoy Boaz's protection, drink from the water of the vessels, and let Boaz then provide for her in that food. And so chapter 2 ends with a beautiful up note that things are turning and things are more hopeful now. But we have to recognize that we don't have a long-term solution for Naomi, and particularly we don't have a long-term solution for Ruth. Uh, Just because you can go to Boaz Field and glean, that's just not a good long-term plan of how things are going to turn out for you the rest of your days. And that's how now as we begin chapter 3, we're going to see how Naomi then opens this scene. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Ruth chapter 3. And let's read the first six verses of Ruth chapter 3. Ruth 3 verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash yourself and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. All right, interesting plan that now unfolds here. Naomi turns to Ruth and says, we need a long-term solution for you. Uh, we, we need to be able to have your future taken care of. And that's what her concern is in regards to Ruth, is what are we going to do for you? And that's how verse 1 is worded there, that to seek rest for you, that it may be well with you. You need someone to care for you and provide for you, that this would not be the sum total of just simply gleaning for the rest of your days. Essentially, you are to read into that. Ruth, you need a husband to take care of you because that's the society that we're in at that time which you're reading about. You weren't going to go get a job at the local bank and take care of yourself all the rest of your days. 
You needed somebody to provide for you and care for you. And that's what Naomi is saying is uh, before my time is done, we need to come up with a solution. And then she points out in verse two, this this Boaz person is our relative. But we looked at last week that we saw that he is a guardian, a benefactor, a family redeemer is who he is. He is the one that can come in for the family's sake. And be an economic provider for the family that's in uh, economic distress. And so she recognizes that and says, Ruth, we have Boaz and he's part of the family. You should go to him. But when you read verse three, you can't help but wonder what is going on with this description, right? Well, here's what I want you to do. Go take a bath and anoint yourself. Put your cloak on. Go to the threshing floor. Don't let him know you're there. Wait till he's done eating and drinking. See where he sleeps. When he goes to sleep, pull the covers off his feet and then lie down right there. And when he wakes up, say, what should I do? There's your plan. <laughs> and you read that and go, okay, that sounds scary. Now, what are we talking about that Naomi has told Ruth to do? Well, let's break down these commands that he, he she gives to her one by one. First, in washing and anointing yourself, while it would certainly be obvious that she's saying, look pretty, to go down to see Boaz, there's probably a little bit more to it than that. Remember where our story has been and what we have seen is that when Ruth... And we have Orpah and Naomi are there in Moab and they're there for 10 years when those sons die. We're told then with those husbands die that they have no children. And it's based upon that that Naomi says, we need to go back. I hear that there's food back in Israel and we're not going to make it out here in Moab. So let's let's go back. It would be extremely likely that the what Ruth is wearing are these widow's garments that would be continue to be worn as one who has lost her husband. This would also likely explain why Boaz has not made any pursuit in regarding Ruth and her marital situation whatsoever. And so what you have here is not just simply, please go take a bath because we want you to smell good, but change your garments. You need to go and present yourself as one who is available to be married. And so that is what she goes about doing. And that's what verse three is is describing there. Wash and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go set yourself up for that. Further, you'll notice that she tells her to not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating or drinking. Since what we are basically seeing in what Naomi is asking Ruth to do is to say, please provide for me and marry me and take care of me. There is then this request to say, let's not do this where you're going to put him on the spot. Let's do this in a way so that when he's in a good mood and has had a good day and when nobody else is watching, that you can make this proposal to him. This would be akin to a a woman. Can you imagine going up to a man in a very busy uh, workplace and, and trumpeting right before the workplace and saying, would you marry me? <laughs> and we do that in a private place, <laughs> not put him on the spot about those things. That's that's what's being told right here is wait till all the workers are, are down in bed. Find out where he's lying down. Make sure you don't reveal yourself to him during the middle of the day. And then you're going to do this seemingly strange thing of uncover Boaz's feet and lie down. And you go, now, what is that about? Now, remember a little bit about how you would typically sleep back then is that you would usually use your own cloak or your garment as your blanket at night. Remember, one of the laws 
in the law of Moses was even if you have someone who is in debt to you to such a degree that you would take their cloak. Remember, each night you had to give it back to them because that was their blanket. That's what you slept with to be able to stay warm. That knowledge and that imagery is really important in the idea of putting your garment over someone. Look at the symbolism that you have in Ezekiel chapter 16 and verse 8 to get an idea of what that would mean because God uses that image in regards to Israel. Ezekiel 16 and verse 8, he says, When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age of love, and I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord, and you became mine. All of that imagery is bound up in what Ruth is is about to be requesting now of Boaz. Notice God says, here's what I did for you. I took the corner of my garment and I covered you over. And what did that mean? But that I made the vow with you and entered a covenant with you that you became mine, that I would care for you and provide for you. And of course, Ezekiel's going to talk about all the provisions and care that I did for you and you rejected all of those things. Well, that's what's happening here is that this is the symbol of what is about to happen. Ruth is going to take a very bold move here and go into where Boaz is sleeping there on the threshing floor while he is asleep, remove the the cloak off of his feet. Now, why would you do that? Well, because in Florida, you wouldn't understand this about a cold breeze at night, but just about anywhere else, you pull off that, your feet are going to get cold, you're going to wake up, and you're going to get your garment, and you're going to cover your feet. And at that moment, you're going to see a woman that you didn't expect to be there, and you're going, now Ruth is going to be in this position of, now will you cover me with your garment also? So that you would be saying, I will provide for you. I will enter into the marriage covenant with you and I will care for you. And so you have a very risky situation because you can have Boaz wake up, see this woman and go, what are you doing here? Get out of here. Go home. You don't belong here. What are you doing? In fact, it's a very tenuous situation because over in Hosea chapter 9 and verse 1, we find out the threshing floor was actually a common place in regards to prostitution. And so this is a very dangerous look of what's about to happen. And we'll see Boaz deal with that later in the story about his concerns in regards to that. And so what she's going to do is just arrive, sit there on the threshing floor and just wait and see what happens. Are you going to be willing to enter into marriage and enter into covenant and provide? for me and care for me or not you can only imagine the tension and the fear and the nervousness of what Ruth would have in this very bold proposition and so that's what's set up for us is will Boaz cover Ruth with his garment will she will he choose to go ahead and provide for her through marriage or not as we talked about before he's under no requirement to do so and we'll see that play out in the answer that we see Boaz give Ruth. Let's look at verse 7 now. Ruth 3, verse 7. And when Boaz, when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? She answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. 
And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you good, let him do it. But if he will not, if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. And so she held it and he measured out six barleys, six measures of barley and put it on her. And then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? And then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. And she replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. All right, so let's look at what happens here. So she goes through with exactly what Naomi says to do. Here it is in the middle of the night. She uncovers his feet. Verse 8 says, At midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, there's a woman lying there on the floor. As you can imagine, the startling scene that would certainly be. And verse 9, he calls out here in the darkness, Well, who is this? Can't see who this is. Who is this that is that is at my feet? And notice what she says. She hits on that symbolic imagery where she says in verse 9, I am your servant. Spread your wings over your servant. For you are redeemer. Interesting that Hebrew word wings is the same as garment. And so you could, some translations actually say, put your garment over me or spread your wings over me because it's carrying the very idea. If you put your garment over me, that is symbolizing that you have put your wings around me to care for me and provide for me. And you are going to be my provider and you will be my husband. And so this is her request. Basically, will you marry me and care for me and provide for me? Notice what his response is in verse 10. Notice how he blesses her in that and says that this kindness that you have shown now is greater than the first. Now remember how she was praised before. Back in chapter 2 we saw how impressed he was regarding her because she had been so loyal to Naomi in what would essentially be seemingly a death sentence and doom to go back to Israel with Naomi. No hope for marriage, no hope for a husband, no hope for children, no hope to be taken care of. She willfully goes back with Naomi where the text says, she says, hey, where you die, I will die. And where you live, I'll live. Whatever happens, it's going to happen to me too. We're in this together. And now he says, this that you have done is even of greater faithfulness and of greater loyalty than that. Why is that the case? Why would this be such greater devotion and greater loyalty? He explains it a little bit there at the end of verse 10 when he says, you haven't gone after young men, whether rich or poor. And the point that he's making is to be married and have somebody care for you. You could have picked anybody. You, you could have picked any man out there. You could have asked this of anybody. 
But the reason she is choosing Boaz is because this is a way for Naomi to be taken care of and to establish this lineage and to maintain that inheritance to go from Naomi through Ruth and Ruth's former husband and maintain that line. She could have just said, I'm going to find the best looking young guy there is who has money and I'm going to go marry them. And that's what he's praising and saying. You could have done that. But you've chosen me, and I know why you have. Because she even said it, you're my redeemer. You are in the family line. And so I'm picking you. And so she doesn't choose out of her own desires. She doesn't choose out of what is in her best interest. But she is truly making a godly choice. And verse 11 points that out when she, when here Boaz says at the end that I will do all for you that you ask. For all the fellow townsmen know... That you are a worthy woman. Everybody knows the character of Ruth. Everybody knows about this Moabite and knows what a worthy woman she is. Please know that is the same phrase over in Proverbs 12, 4 and in Proverbs 31, 10. That is the same expression about that worthy woman that we know very well of in the book of Proverbs. And Boaz is giving that here to Ruth and saying, you are worthy. You possess all those characteristics. You are godly. You are choosing the right path. And you've seen that in her life that we've studied so far. She's not practicing sexual immorality, but is having sexual integrity, which is very clearly pointed out in this text. It's quite amazing how many scholars try to make this a sordid uh, affair and account that happens here when it's plainly written that that's not what's going on here in the slightest. And so she's showing her faithfulness to God. She's showing her faithfulness to Naomi. She's making spiritual decisions through this. And Boaz is just absolutely impressed by this. Because Ruth just could have said, I'll just find the next good looking guy that I like. But instead, this is for Naomi's good. This is a godly decision. This is for the family and the inheritance and the land that was given. All of that is being bound up in this. And then as you just read this and you go, boy, this is going to turn out to be one wonderful happy ending. Isn't this great? You know, and this is how we would write the movie. And so they embrace and, you know, they lived happily ever after. And there goes the chariot off into the group. And there, there you go. Boaz says, but there's a problem. <laughs> there a problem is I'm not the nearest family redeemer guardian. There's someone closer to me who has the right of caring for the property and the inheritance and all of that. It doesn't come to me first. The problem is if I marry you, then all that comes with Elimelech and his family and his descendants and his inheritance and his house would all come to me. And I don't have a right to that. There's someone closer to me who has the right to those things, to the inheritance and the land and all that is the level X and all that would come in that descendancy. And so it's not going to necessarily be happy ever after. He says, if he accepts this request, then good, you've been provided for. But if he doesn't, I want you to know I will respond and I will accept what you are saying. And that's what he says in verse 13. If he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Now, 
The rest of the instructions are important to consider as well, to recognize why this is not a sordid account of unseemly things. Do you remember the time frame of when we are at when this is occurring? The days of the judges, right? How well did things go when you were in the city in the middle of the night in the days of the judges, particularly if you were a woman? It went really bad. It was terrible. It was a disaster. And we saw some pretty ugly scenes happen. I mean, we even have when some men are traveling through, you don't want to be in the city streets. You have to stay in my house. It's too dangerous. It is a terrible, terrible time. And so that's why Boaz says, don't go back to Naomi. You need to stay here the night. But he's also then observing, leave early in the morning while it's still dark so nobody will see that you are here. Why? To maintain that worthy woman reputation because nothing unseemly has gone on. And I don't want that to be placed upon you because that is the Hosea 9 verse 1 describes that threshing floor is that prostitute kind of place. And that's not what's happened here. And so he is very much concerned about her, concerned about her integrity, concerned about her reputation. And it is so interesting that the scene just kind of ends with, well, I wonder what's going to happen. We're left waiting and wondering. Well, can Boaz go ahead and marry? It's Boaz wants to be with Ruth. He has also said, I will happily redeem you and we will do this. But he doesn't have the first rights to the family line and the descendants and the inheritance. And so he cannot until that's first offered. And so it leaves you with yet another cliffhanger. And I hope you see how beautifully this is written that three times you're left with this cliffhanger. After chapter one, disaster, doom and gloom. Nobody's going to make it, but it ends with, but there was a harvest time of the barley fields when they go back to Israel. And you get this glimmer of hope, like maybe it's going to be okay after all. And then in chapter two, you see similarly where, okay, she's being provided for by Boaz and she's able to glean, but... That's not really a long-term plan. How is this going to last in the long term? That's great for today, but we need a long-term solution. And now chapter 3 ends with, we have a long-term solution, but can Boaz actually fulfill what he desires to fulfill for Ruth to be able to care for her and provide for her and give her what she desires in this? Will it be through Boaz that this will happen? And you have this, this big stop sign like, you have to wait till chapter four to be able to find out. Chapter four will be next week, but let's talk about three messages that we see here in chapter three tonight. Number one, one of the things that just jumps off the page of what the book of Ruth is communicating as well as this chapter is communicating is how God blesses the upright. God is constantly giving this description in this book because not only do you see that Ruth is given the description as a worthy woman, but remember how chapter 2 opened when it described Boaz. He's this worthy man. And so you have this wonderful description of a, a, a man of godly integrity and uprightness in the midst of the days of the judges when everybody is doing what is right in their own eyes. It is a despicable, evil, wicked time. But here is Boaz and he is put forward as a worthy man. And he was a man who can solve the problem of Naomi and Ruth. And now Ruth in chapter three is put forward as, look, she 
is a worthy woman. Look at her loyalty and look at her faithfulness, faithful to God, faithful to Naomi. She continues to show herself to be of integrity and honesty and uprightness. And the reason why that is particularly important is because it's not necessarily in her best interest to do so right here. And yet she's being loyal, loyal to God, faithful to God. Loyal to Naomi, faithful to Naomi, even when that may not work out best for her. I mean, ladies, can you imagine what a heart attack experience it would be to do what Ruth has just done right here? You are a Moabite. You are an outsider. And here you're just saying, will you take care of me? Will you provide for me? Will you marry me? And what great faithfulness because of her loyalty and uprightness and character is being described here. And this is what God desires of his people is to always possess that kind of integrity that we would be people who are honest and upright and true and pure, that we would always maintain that regardless of the way our society falls out. This is not an easy time to be these kinds of people in the days of the judges. The days of the judges is arguably worse than our culture in terms of how wicked and sinful things are. And yet we have a man who is worthy and upright and does good by Ruth and does not take advantage of this situation and does not try to uh, do things that would be sinful, but rather protects her and is concerned about her reputation and is faithful by her. And here is Ruth who is being faithful to God and faithful to Naomi. It's a beautiful scene of what godly manhood and womanhood looks like. And as a reminder to us, as we are called to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world, that that requires for us to live lives of integrity. We can't look like the world. That we should be the honest ones, the upright ones, the people that others would come to and go, I know that you speak the truth. I know that in your lips is what is upright and good and pure and holy and right. And that will get us in trouble sometimes. That will cause us consequences for speaking the truth and being upright and being moral and virtuous and full of integrity. But that is what God wants his people to do. And how in our lives we are reflecting the holiness of God and the integrity of God and the honor of God by our lips and by our actions. The reason why the book of Ruth is so beautiful is because you are looking at two people in the midst of a depraved culture who are upright and holy and pure and good. And it's why you're rooting for both of them as you read the story unfold. Number two for us. This book is very much about the providence of God. We saw that in chapter two and highlighted how much you see God at work through these things, even though Naomi has experienced an immense disaster. We have seen that God is working and caring for them as Ruth is now in Boaz field and Boaz is there and look how it's all unfolding. And I think it's important for us to observe what Naomi is doing in this chapter. That Naomi's attitude is not, well, God is going to take care of us, and so we'll just sit here and hope and wait. There's not an attitude of fatalism or destiny or something like that, or let's be passive and wait. But there is this desire to act, 
believing that God is going to provide for them, that God is going to bless them. You see Naomi with that of this is a good man. You go, you uncover his feet and lie down and just wait and see what he says. He's going to say something for you to do. In fact, you have to love what Boaz does in that. Why does Boaz say you have to go back with all this grain of food? Verse 17, I don't want you to go back empty handed. And he says, you must not go back empty handed to your mother-in-law. I want you to know this is going to work out. God is at work. And remember we saw last week, Boaz sees himself as an instrument of God's divine providence and sees how he is able to be a conduit of God's good. And he's saying that here again is that there is a a hopeful yes. So you're not going back empty handed. And so you have something tangible to show with that. I'm going to go see whether it's going to be this redeemer or me. But either way, this is going to work out in some degree, right? It's going to be him or it's going to be me. And you're not going home empty handed in that. And I think it's great to see that, that you have this picture that faith does not mean doing nothing. Believing in the promises of God does not mean, well, I'm just going to sit back, wait and hope and something's just going to fall on me one day. The scriptures never teach that faith means to do nothing. It always teaches act in faith. Believe that God is going to work things out. Believe that God is going to care for you. Believe that God will provide for you. Not, okay, I will do nothing in hope. And sometimes faith is portrayed that way. And I've seen that more in my childhood. Maybe that's kind of moving out of the general consciousness of Christians that, you know, well, if if God is going to bless us and God is going to act, we should just sit here and do nothing and watch and see what happens. You never have a command like that where God says, please do absolutely nothing and let... God just take care of all of it. But rather, you see a great thing of what Naomi's doing. We need to provide for something here. We need to take care of you, Ruth. And God is blessing through those very things. Let me move the needle to the other side and point out, it's also not a picture of you can just go out and make any kind of bad decision you want to make, but because you're full of faith, God will protect you from your bad decisions. I've also seen that side of the faith coin as well. Well, if you have faith in God, he's going to make all this work out. So we're going to make some really poor decisions in our life. We're going to make some really foolish decisions and figure, well, you know, I'm acting in faith. God will fix it. And you don't see that in the scriptures either, where God says, I'll bail you out of any dumb decision you make because at least you believe in me. You always have the scripture saying you need to live your life in wisdom, walk in wisdom, make careful decisions. Why does the book of Proverbs even exist? Except make wise, careful decisions. Here is Solomon sitting with with his son saying, my son, be wise, fear the Lord, make good decisions. Not here's what faith looks like. You can make all the bad decisions you want to make and God will reverse all those bad decisions and make it all better. And unfortunately, I've seen that sometimes out of preachers and Christian leaders and Christian teachers that would suggest that you would take this really bad sounding course by logic or sense. But because we have faith, it'll all be okay. 
I don't see that in the Scriptures. I don't see God ever saying, go ahead and make those bad decisions and I'll be your parachute. No, instead, don't make bad decisions. Walk wisely. Walk carefully. Think about what God would have you to do and look for God to bless you in those efforts. And so we look to God to bless us, but that doesn't mean we are inactive. And that's what I love about what Ruth and Naomi do here is they're looking at their circumstances and they are making godly decisions. What should we do? We move back to Israel. That's a godly decision. Ruth, I will marry Boaz and not someone that I just choose for my own desires. Godly decisions are being portrayed and God is validating those godly decisions. Which leads to the third point, our final point tonight, and it's closely tied to it. We need to then ask ourselves, what is the basis by which we do make our life decisions? That are we willing to walk by faith? Or do we often choose to walk by sight? And I think that's one of the things that is really amazing about how this scene ends. Because Ruth goes back to Naomi and she is being faithful. She is a worthy woman. She is integrity. She is pure. She is doing what God has called her to do. And yet she has absolutely no clarity about what God is going to do in this. How is this going to play out? We don't know. We're just left with this big cliffhanger. We don't know. And I think that's important for us to grasp that sometimes there can be this idea that because we are full of faith and because we are upright and because we are righteous and because we believe in God, we should have clarity about how God is working in our lives. We should be able to just crystallize, here's what I see God doing. In particular, we want that when it comes to trials, right? Uh, God, tell me the answer. How is this all going to play out? Make it clear to me. That's always the hardest part of a trial is you don't know what the outcome is. A trial wouldn't be three quarters of the trial if you knew how it's going to turn out in the end. The difficulty of the trial is I don't know how it's going to turn out in the end. And that is what it means then to walk by faith. That the idea is not that we are putting our faith in God so that we can know what the outcome will be. Rather, putting our faith in God is what gives us the hope and the confidence we need to walk through the day of darkness not knowing what tomorrow holds. That's how we do what we studied this morning and talking about you're going to live for today, not worry about tomorrow and be anxious about those things because I have hope and confidence that God will take care of me, even though I don't see how that's going to possibly turn out that way. And friends, we go through some very tough things in life where we don't understand or know how it's going to turn out. Whether it be through suffering and distress, whether it be through the consequences of our own sinful decisions or reaping the consequences of somebody else's sinful decisions and bearing the weight of that. We don't have clarity of how it's going to turn out, but that does not mean that God is not at work. It does not mean that we should not put our faith in God. In fact, that's all the more reason to put our faith in God knowing that he can work through these things for us. We don't have the clarity. We don't see how it's all going to play out. But God does. God is going to accomplish something so staggering in the life of Naomi. Naomi, at the start of this, 
loses it all. She says, I've gone from full to empty. I've lost everything. And next week, we're going to get to the end of the book. And she could not be fuller than you could possibly believe of what God has accomplished for Naomi in her life. And you would have never seen it through these 10 years as her life just kind of wind this way and wind that way. And now here's the solution. Here's the clarity. Over a decade later, now there's clarity of what was at work. That's what we put our faith in. We serve the Lord, we walk by faith, and we look for the blessings of God as we live. May we do that as we encounter every challenge, every trial, every difficulty, every degree of suffering. We walk by faith. We know that God is in control. We will take what God has given us for today and look for God's blessings as we continue to walk forward in our lives. It's a great thing that Naomi does. We see it in Ruth as well. I look forward to the end of the story then next week. We're going to sing a song and we invite you to come and follow God because God loves you. God cares for you. He has your best interests in mind and he has done wonderful things to provide that for you. Most importantly, the forgiveness of sin so that you can become a child of God. What a wonderful blessing it is to know that through our lack of clarity and how we do not understand what is happening in our lives, we do not see how things are working out in our favor or for our benefit or for our good. There is the hope and the confidence given to us that we can put our trust in God and that God is on our side to carry us through whatever the challenge and whatever the difficulty. I hope that will be a reason to encourage your faith and to continue to help you walk faithfully with your God. If you need to turn your life back to God tonight before it's too late, will you choose to do that this very day, to turn away from sin, to live a life of faith, to follow him with all of your heart? Won't you come and do that now while we stand and while we sing?